don't make it sound like I hated the movie because it was low budget. That's don't do. That. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories in them. But today, we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, to, 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 today is a, a special episode. It is our 200th episode. It's insane that we're here. If you had told me how many years ago when we started the show that we'd be here at 200 episodes, I'd probably say you were lying. <laughs> um, but yeah, we usually do, okay, my usual statement is we do genres. We are in the middle of a rock thriller kind of month. But this is our one-off for this special episode, and we're taking questions from our listeners. And we've got questions through email, through voicemail, which you'll hear some some of these play played, uh, social media. I got text messages from people. So we've kind of put it all in a script for us, for you guys, and we're going to be kind of going through each question. So the first question that we have is from my mom, who listens to the show. Um, and my mom has asked us, how did the show come about? Because she doesn't remember. Um, or she de- she wasn't listening. She didn't start listening to the show until COVID uh, when we kind of did our kind of revamp of everything. Mm-hmm. But to kind of the brief uh, or the brief kind of story of how the show came about, we covered it a little bit in the 100th episode, which was two years ago. Um, but uh, my friend Ben Gertz and I, we, uh, we created the show back in 20... 20- 14 weirdly so eight years ago almost about seven and a half years ago when we started it because i had just moved to la and i was going to usc with thomas actually and i think it was just been and i been and moved to portland and i had moved to la we'd come from alabama we wanted to do something to, like to kind of work together and it kind of had we had basically had a lot of just like conversations at night on the phone just about film or the industry and writing and it kind of morphed into hey we should do a podcast because at that point podcasts were a thing but they were not like they are now in kind of the (laughs) the world and the mainstream and ben and i got together it was supposed to be hunter barcroft who has been on the show as a guest host he didn't come in until about a year or so later and then another another friend of ours was my roommate time and it went from just kind of being this every episode was one different thing. And then Thomas got involved, I think about a year into it is what it was. Yep. Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon. I think it was episode 15 is what it was. Matt. It was like Matt Damon and other things. Because mm. we really, as you remember, we really just like, what are we talking about? We were today? just kind of like variety did... headlines, you know, <laughs> yeah. the week. Yeah, exactly. And we did that for a few years and then i think after we graduated we kind of just stopped is what it was it took like a two-year break i know you were working uh in la mm-hmm. and then after about a year and a half or so you moved to atlanta and i think it was like i would i had contemplated many times just like closing the show on the podcast on on our on our hosting site but i kept it open and then i think because you moved, I think it was also like I wanted to get back to like talking to Ben, talking to you, because you you now were were in Atlanta, and we decided to do it as a genre podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I had like a a Zoom, not, it wasn't Zoom yet, it was Skype at that point, where we had like a conversation like what should the show be? Yeah, and you pitched like it was going to be Ben, you and me, and whoever could come on as a genre show where we kind of like pitch Ben on movies of the genres kind of what mm-hmm. it was going to be. 
And that didn't stick around because Ben never watched the movies. <laughs> is what it was. Um, that was the premise he, of the show. And ben he never sounded very it. interested in them. He he would. Yeah, he loved it. He would yeah. pump you up when you recommend something to Ben. He pumps you up and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great." This and is then great. You this just is... don't don't ever ask him if he actually <laughs> followed through on it. Yeah, and well, then you asked. He was like, "Oh yeah, no, I didn't watch that." But Ben, Ben had a, I mean had kids, personal life, job. He he he's not in the film industry anymore, and so he was a very busy guy. And then that morphed into i mean it really was weird how everything happened we did that for about a year and a half or so and then when we hit episode 100 it took us it's funny it took us like six years to hit episode 100 it took us two years to hit episode 200 um that shows we were way more consistent when we came back because i think what i told we told each other was like if we come back we have to be more of a scheduled show and mm. not just because that, that first few years, it was just like whenever we were ready, like we never we rarely had uh, week by week episodes and that all kind of changed. We came together and then Ben was taking a back seat and literally right when Ben dec- decided to take a back seat was at episode 100 and by episode 101 COVID hit. Is mm. what it was. <laughs> and you and I really had nothing to do. No, no work going on at that point. We were all kind of stuck inside and it was just like I realized we did a month of sports movies, and I realized, oh, we're much better when we've actually watched each movie because mm-hmm. the previous episodes were all those like we're doing the whole genre in each episode, which is insane. They'd be like, oh that. yeah, and I think this movie I haven't seen it, but I think it's kind of in the yeah. same genre. Yeah, it was like each each person came in with like five movies they'd seen, and was like trying to pitch it. Now we had good conversations, I think, based off that. Mm-hmm. I think there was good that came of that, but it was definitely like the early version of what this show became. And I realized that you and I were way better if we'd actually seen the movie, we both had seen the movie we were talking about and we just looked at it that way. And so the kind of pitch COVID kind of made us like rethink the show. And that's where this kind of new idea of a genre per month. And then later came like sometimes the director per month, but a genre per month would be kind of the concept of the show. And that's kind of how it, it was a long journey to get there. It took six years to get to that, that format and i think once we started doing that and you might i don't know how you think about it, like i feel like we finally got into a little bit of a groove of what this show actually is it just took six years mm-hmm. to do it it was more based i think it was more based in like our interests like you you and my interest in film is what it was yeah is what the show became yeah uh because i because i know you studied you did like film studies in, in college, correct? Yeah. And, and specifically genre studies. So yeah, that was something just kind of when we were talking about looking over the film landscape and specifically the podcast landscape, you gotta, you gotta have something that sets you apart. So I yeah. think that was something you and I were both interested in that could kind of stand out. Yeah. And I've always told people who like, they want to start a podcast and it's always just like, cool, you gotta have a good hook and you have to realize that you're going to spend a lot of time of no one listening, basically. Like, I think sometimes people just think, cool, I'll start a podcast. And and some people have this. Some people, by the way you do it, and if you have a following and the way you market it, you can get a big following pretty quickly. But sometimes you really just have to, like, it has to be kind of a a passion project in a way. And I think for both of us, this has been kind of a passion project for the past few years. And hopefully people continue to find it. And so that's kind of the the rough story of how it got to be. We had been involved, Hunter, a bunch of different people. Uh, and now we're kind of in this new current format that we, I think Thomas and I really enjoy mm-hmm. doing. I think it gives us more, uh, 
more way to, to explore the things we are interested in as, I guess, creators. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Ben, Ben actually sent us a question. This is Ben from the land of endless COVID. Uh, congratulations on the 200th episode. This is pretty radical. Uh, lockdown is also pretty radical. Uh, so that's kind of my question that I've been ruminating on, which is, what do you guys feel like is sort of during this whole time has been the most, not necessarily prescient as far as like a pandemic film or something, just a film that you've gone to that's captured, you know, that came out before all of this that you feel like kind of captures what we're going through now. And they didn't know it, you know, they weren't trying to make a story about now, about the pandemic, about COVID-19, but they've nailed it in some way that's unexpected. And, you know, preferably not some, I'd love to hear, I mean, you can tell me anything you want, but preferably not a film that's like a, I don't know, World War Z or something, some <laughs> pandemic film, <laughs> you know, just more at the emotional level of like what people are kind of going through with the different things. And then second follow-up portion, you can edit me and cut me out however you want, you know, thanks for taking my voicemail. But uh, who do you think is going to end up with some of the more interesting, you know, do you, are you expecting kind of a glut of, you know, some potentially bad, but maybe a few interesting indie films? Do you think, I don't know, Soderbergh or pick a, if you could pick anybody who's going to have a film, you go like, yeah, they really have something interesting to say about this weird time. Who do you think that person is? Or who, or who do you think maybe the writer, director, actor, probably not an actor. I don't know, but who, who do you think it would be? That's it. Congrats on 200, man. Bye. All right. Thank you. Been with this very two, two big questions. <laughs> That deal with COVID, uh, two uh, kind of long questions. Let's go with part one first. Mm-hmm. So Ben's question is, what movies kind of have captured the feeling of COVID, but like weren't like these kind of COVID films that came out in the past year or so? Yeah. Um, are, are there films that come to mind for you? Yeah, there there are a couple. Uh, I think of two in particular that kind of have to do with loneliness and also like connection uh, and mm-hmm. like two different like. I think of Lost in Translation, which is okay. like very much about isolation and then kind of about these like weird like ties that we make to people just kind of depending on the situation that we're in because there yeah. are like there's there's people I've I've met through like work or online like you know going to Zoom happy hours with like my fiance's friends that I've like become yeah. close to somebody from that that you know I just probably would not have happened without yeah covid and, and the way we were kind of forced into these boxes and so i think that kind of that friendship that arises as a part of this kind of overwhelming isolation and loneliness in that movie is definitely captures a feeling that we went through and then an, another movie that really captures kind of loneliness and isolation really well and also the way that we i mean we were already very dependent on technology but the way that our dependence on technology changed completely during uh during our quarantine is is her i think her's got a lot to say about kind of getting wrapped up in ourselves and how important it can be to you know that the ending of her is just kind of like sometimes you just have to reach out for a real person and i think yeah all of us can relate to that and what we've been through in the last couple of years yeah it's yeah very much this human connection uh aspect i mean weirdly i I, i'm reminded a little bit of (laughs) i'm not this is not my answer but i remind a little bit of the recent matrix film 
sue me if you do, if you if you don't like it i actually enjoyed it but it kind of deals with like at the core of everything it's like human connection when you connect with someone uh in some way yeah her is a very good pick i like both those picks her specifically is one i thought about as well i took a little bit different approach i love that <laughs> you did the more you did the more uh which it captures some of the same things i went older um mm-hmm. but in terms of kind of feelings and COVID, so there's two movies one i actually i didn't go back and revisit i actually watched for the first time during COVID, or both these i actually did but this one was early it was like in june of 2020 and it's an old film called the world the flesh and the devil and it stars harry belafonte and basically harry belafonte is a character comes out in i think early i think 59 or so is what it is mm-hmm. and belafonte is a guy he's kind of like a labor worker and he's working underground i think he's something to do with pipes is what it is but he's going underground and he gets trapped underground and you think i knew nothing about this film going on. i had no clue what the what the premise was was he gets trapped underground and you're like oh this is gonna be about a guy who's like trapped underground trying to get out well he gets out because people stop helping him he's like i got my own way he gets out and everyone's gone mm-hmm. and it kind of becomes i am legend mm-hmm. where everyone in the city is gone he's like well let me go to new york because there'll be people in new york because it's a big city no one's there so the whole thing is him kind of doing like will smith i am legend creating a life in this empty city and then finally someone shows up and it's now him and this woman uh inger inger stevens and it's now this kind of like couple and they're kind of living 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 kind of the same area and become friends and then a third person shows up, uh, uh, Mel Fiera. And what happens that I thought was so interesting, you're dealing with this idea of like loneliness at first and isolation and then having that connection. And that was so kind of weird in this moment in time because it was right around George Floyd and all that stuff, Black Lives Matter was happening. And what happens when Mel Fiera shows up, now race becomes a big issue in this movie. And race is, it's like even with like these three characters race still becomes a thing and belafonte also produced it i think really made some movies that were kind of ahead of their time and this really kind of captured what was happening in the world in a variety of ways from race issues to um isolation and loneliness and connection it really captured so much and it was one that i was greatly like like surprised by finding on just like it was on my dvr that i taped off tcm like a year before Mm -hmm. and it just was the right moment the right time um one that i thought of in terms of like panic i guess was actually when we watched for the show and that was rabid by (laughs) cronenberg like i just they stand there i was like this is basically because it was it's about getting vaccines at one point and how like there's the vaccine car and there was this kind of huge kind of fear that kind of cropped up cities on lockdown empty streets cities on lockdown you didn't know how you got it and i was just like oh that's like the early like something that was the early days of covid when we were all kind of like panicking and didn't know what to do and then you kind of dealt with the whole vaccine stuff as well and so it was very interesting to see how those two movies, one from the 70s, one from the 50s, still captured some of the same feelings or events that occurred within the past two years. Mm-hmm. Good picks all around. Um, all films, if you haven't seen, check out. Yeah. I actually, Her was the first film I ever saw in LA, by the way. Oh, no way. I was, yeah, I was on a, I was on a trip with my college and we went to Arclight Hollywood for the first time. And we went to her and I was the only one that liked it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I was the only one that liked it. Wow. 
everyone okay. else was just i think even steven was with me yeah steven steven i don't know if steven liked it or not but like i was pretty much like and like three of people saw secret life of walter mitty and they're like this is the best one i ever saw <laughs> and not to knock on ben stiller's secret life of walter mitty I, I like it but i don't think it's her um so yeah but ben thanks to part one of the question now part two of the question is who do you think is going to be a filmmaker or writer that kind of tries to capture COVID in some way or the feelings of COVID? Well, Ben, it's funny you should mention Steven Soderbergh because he has a COVID <laughs> film doing, coming out yeah, um, yeah, called Kimmy that kind of seems to be a COVID take on Rear Window uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, COVID built in is the reason you can't really leave your apartment. And then, you know, technology built in as a way to eavesdrop instead of just using your binoculars the whole time. So I am very interested to see that one and I, I do think it's kind of interesting that Soderbergh who is an absolute workhorse has knocked <laughs> out two movies during COVID um yeah because I I was I was working on some projects and you know you'd be taught you'd be reaching out to rental houses and they're like oh yeah we're renting this out to this movie and I looked it up and it said it was a Steven Soderbergh movie and then like a, a literally weeks later i reached out to another <laughs> rental house and they're like oh we've already rented stuff out to this movie and i was like wait this is another steven soderbergh movie yeah for um, a dude that, re- that retired like 10 years ago yeah. uh he he didn't slow down yeah. yeah it's like i'm i remember there's so many stories of him where it's just like like i think high flying bird was this way too where like that came out and he was like yeah i had a i had the first cut the first full cut done an hour and a half after shooting <laughs> like he's it's just insane of how much he just works and just like he knows exactly what he wants as far as like who i'm looking forward to a take on it i'd, I'd, I'd like to see like you said an indie that's that's what i'm much more interested mm-hmm. in is you know a, a like a study of a family who ended up having to uh quarantine together or i, I literally yeah. when when quarantine was happening I was like, I'm so excited for a movie about a couple who have been dating for like a couple of months and are having to decide whether to break up or move in together for quarantine. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of like smaller dramatic or, or kind of tragic comedy fair, I, I'm yeah. much more interested in. I really don't. I, there's already been some like very exploitative films that have come out. I, I yeah. that I have no interest in. Um, yeah. I, I really don't need to see like the dramatized version of it all going down i don't need to see a thriller about like racing to stop the virus from spreading like i i have no interest in reliving any of that but i i I am i'm very interested in 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 a couple of years i I, i've been keeping an eye on the stuff coming out of sundance this week and it's not it doesn't seem like there's too much kind of covid related there but uh, i think Mm -hmm. you know give it a couple of years and i think we'll see some really interesting smaller kind of human stories about what it was like to live through it yeah you don't you don't want the songbird remember that one that came no out, i don't like, want songbird i don't want sorry <laughs> to Anne hathaway that. and chotel edgy for i don't want the heist lockdown plan during lockdown. Yeah. lockdown yeah no yeah i think i mean here's the thing too it's like i don't know if i want a lot of covid movies it's kind of the thing i always make i'd make the joke uh to one of my friends i was like look there's a reason we don't see 1919 uh uh, uh, Spanish flu movies. Yeah, yeah, like people didn't want to relive that. <laughs> and there's <laughs> it's no not like we want. Like you've discuss. got, you know, it's it's different than a war or you know a war movie yeah. or something like that. You can't actively participate in trying yeah. to stave off a virus. Like I don't need to see. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't need to see a Fauci movie. Like you know, documentaries <laughs> are fine, but I don't yeah. need George Clooney playing Fauci in a couple of years. 
yeah i just i feel like it's just more like and i think as as people we when you deal with it for so long it's like cool i want to be done with that period of my life in a way yeah um so i think it's more i think it's more like i that when you when you attack it you have to attack it as like trying to capture the feeling as we're saying of like i think i think there will be a few that will sneak the cracks and be good as kind of like either indie or like some sort of like maybe genre piece within the covid mm-hmm. but like i think what was the host that came out on shutter uh like it was done through zoom or whatever i think you get like one or two of those maybe but you, you're not i don't think you should get a lot and i think we'll get a lot that we'll kind of hate but i think it's more about capturing the feeling instead of trying to capture a plot of something yeah so soderbergh's kind of like i said soderbergh's kind of the the big one but i think too as you said looking at sundance like i think if it comes from anywhere that will really capture something it will be from a younger filmmaker um who was able to get it made with these restrictions in some mm-hmm. way um so yeah I, th- I think i think that's what will happen well ben thank you for for two parts of your question or two questions very helpful and ben again original co-host of the show uh, next up, we have another question from a co-host, and that's from Amy Tippett Madrid. Hey, guys. I just want to say congrats on 200 episodes. Um, so I know this podcast focuses mostly on movies, but I also know that you both share my appreciation and love for theater as well. Uh, in fact, actually, Brandon, one of uh, our earliest memories, one of my earliest memories of our friendship um, was attending your high school's production of a play you wrote, which I just think is so cool. Um, so all that said, um, I wondered if you guys could talk a little bit about the process of adapting stage performances, whether that's like musicals or straight plays for the screen. Like, what does that look like from a writing and directing perspective? Um, and are there any adaption, um, adaptations that you, you know, like better than others? So, um well thanks for answering my question and congrats again and i'll talk to you soon bye thank you amy for revealing my playwriting days in high school (laughs) um it was they they put it on when i was in college but i wrote in high school um so yeah so about we've talked a lot about musicals on here i think we've talked a lot about musicals on and off the show you and Mm -hmm. me thomas and we actually kind of had similar conversations about that question i think over the holidays with certain movies that came out so so what do you feel like how do you want to tackle this question like what like what are your thoughts yeah i mean it's 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 tough it's a big question uh because <laughs> you know we're not just talking musicals we're talking plays which we have done many we've tackled many a play as well yeah. um on this show i first off will state and i've stated it on this show before i'm not one of those people who just like immediately discredits a film if it feels like a play yeah. Um, that's that doesn't yeah. that's not a negative for me i know people who do and yeah. and i know critics who professional critics who do and that's that's not a hang up for me um so you know something like one night in miami when that's almost entirely in one room if the performances are holding my attention and the camera's yeah, holding my care. you know i'm in i'm in my my Rennie's black bottom was the same exact way i was like i was i was kind of confused at the at, with both those films when people were like oh it feels stagey and and claustrophobic i was like does it like i'm watching phenomenal actors give phenomenal performances i didn't feel mm-hmm. caught by that but can yeah you continue and i think i think you can open so I'm, I'm not discrediting any film that kind of keeps it to the same 
room. I, I do think there's a nice, it, you're, you know, when you do come to film, you're afforded the opportunity to open it up a little bit more. A film, yeah. I think I've, I've never seen the play performed, but I can see how it would work out is a, a, a favorite of mine that we've covered on the podcast is Philadelphia Story. You know, it yeah. can very obviously take place in really just one room in that house. I can could see it happening in the play, but the movie takes advantage of kind of making it happen across this whole estate and some neighboring buildings and whatnot. And it, it, it never feels, you know, aside from having, I guess, witty dialogue, if that's a sign mm -hmm. of a play, it never, it never has any, anything like that. So I, I do think there, there's a positive to, I do encourage people who are adapting plays to kind of play with that idea of being able to open it up a little bit more, but you know, if, if, if there is a conversation between two people and the rest of the um, cast has left the stage, think, oh, in real life, would these two people go somewhere else or would they just stay yeah. in this room after everybody's left? Those are those are some great questions to ask yourself. And that that affords you the opportunity to expand a little bit more. And so I think there are some incredible adaptations of plays that really just expand and you get the opportunity to expand on the story more. Um, a few good men, I think, is absolutely mm -hmm. one yeah. that is, goes from a courtroom play to you know really just kind of encompassing this whole story. But like I said, I have absolutely no problem with making a chamber piece either. So go yeah. if that's if it calls for you know twelve angry men, specifically calls to not go anywhere except for in that room. <laughs> so stick it in yeah. that room and leave it there. I think that's the key too. It's like what's keeping them in a room. Like you have to have a reason of why they're there. Mm -hmm. Like I think my rings black bomb is a good example too. A more recent one where it's like they're recording songs. So of course this, the, the mood or the story is going to take place in and around the recording studio. If it's in the recording studio, if it's in the green room, it's going to take place in this building. There's no reason for Chadwick Boseman to go out and explore new york city in this movie mm -hmm. because his character is record he's re helping by my randy record an album um one night in miami is is something where it, uh they're able to kind of keep them in the ho and they still open that up fairly well i thought they opened up one night in miami fairly well that make it didn't feel like it was just in a hotel room because mm -hmm. they have kind of characters going off a little bit they have kind of that opening section where you're meeting all the characters um it, it feels pretty open a lot of time but for some reason people just don't like being in a room yeah i i said i've i've always enjoyed watching actors act mm -hmm. and and sometimes it, it might not feel cinematic but i think if it's a great performance you don't want to you don't want to get in the way of that is yeah. my thing you don't want to get in the way in front of a great performance just by we got to open it up but yeah i think it, as a smart if you're really adapting to adapting and they have a smart way to do it a Few Good Men is a great thing where it's like, okay, cool. Because I don't know how that stage production is. If it's just all the courtroom, uh, basically, proceedings. They smartly, like, cool, what's the prep of that like? What's, yeah. the, what's, what's the, how do they get the job? Like, how does this all happen? We're, and that's the smart way of, of kind of opening it up. Um, in terms of musicals. Yeah. We've, we've <laughs> had this discussion intensely as of late. As of late. Um, because we've had big musicals come out this past year and it's made me really evaluate directing, like how you direct a musical and really the logic of a musical and how you commit to that logic. Like we've had, I mean, we've had Tick, Tick, Boom this year. We've had West Side Story. We've had 
in the Heights. We've had Dear Evan Hansen. We've had Annette. And we've had a lot of different things. And I think the ones that kind of are the the better ones are the ones that kind of understand the logic of how to direct for a mm. musical. But we've also, we've also, you and I have watched, I think, older musicals in that period, the post-Chicago period. Yep. Where, like, People no were one being hired to make direct... musicals who didn't believe in musicals, very obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think what, what you and I have both kind of discussed as far as making a musical, the most important thing is you have to buy into the idea of a musical. And yeah. you have to make the world musical, which means getting everyone on camera needs to be buying into what is happening. The camera needs to be buying into what is happening. The production design needs to be musical. I think yeah. this the last iteration of West Side Story, it's a great example. You know, the America sequence, you, you're taking over yeah. multiple quote unquote blocks block, of new yeah. york i mean it's a backstage but blocks of new york everyone is in on this song the fights you know the 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 rumble is that way and i mean even if we're talking musicals that aren't stage adaptations and some some like musical fans discredit this movie i don't but you're talking the the first scene of la la land i think that is a great way yeah. to drop you into this is the version of los angeles where everyone gets out of their cars and they sing and dance everyone does it and and this is the world that we're in and you and I were both watching a movie recently from that 2000s era where the like main cast was doing a big number. It's the end of the first act number. They're all super into it. And everyone else in the room is sitting and watching. And it is so unnerving yeah. to see people in a movie watching other people perform music. Yeah. If, it, if they're not, if it's not a performative musical. It, I'll it, say what it is. Just yeah, you you'll call them out. <laughs> I'll say as, I'm, yeah, it was it was Rent yeah. and like it, the the because some people like it, some people don't. I just the specific scene of whatever which song it was, but it was when they're uh, they're Bohemia, at the Life Bohemia, Bohemia or something. Yeah, Life Bohemia when they're down when they're down like the kind of the the diner restaurant and like it just feels so weird because it feels the way it's directed because like you know like I said everyone's just watching these people sing and it just feels like patrons watching like the drunk theater kids sing after a show <laughs> and it, it and... just takes you out of the idea of, of a musical completely and there's other sequences yeah. in that film where it's it's almost like uh chris columbus directed it and it and it feels like chris columbus who's very very fine director i like i i think he's a great a good director yes but i don't think he buys into the idea of a musical so any sequence you're watching when People are singing in the presence of others. He makes certain just always like every 10, 15 seconds, we got to cut back to a shot of the people who aren't singing, just watching, watching them yeah, and, and not moving, not dancing, you know, yeah. nothing. And it's so, it takes you out of it so much. And you're like, what is going on? Are these people, because you know, there's this uh, age old conceit of the musical and, and the more you dig into it, the more confusing it gets. But the idea that <laughs> at some point in a musical, your emotions get so high that you have to sing. Yeah. The reason musical works is everybody within the world of a musical buys into that. And in, in 96,000 and in the Heights, every person at that pool is so excited about the lottery <laughs> that they are all singing and dancing. And if yeah. it's, just the main characters who are at the pool so excited about this lottery ticket and they are singing and dancing <laughs> in the middle of the pool it is a completely different scene yeah and yeah and i think it's always too because i've heard every time we've kind of covered a musical it feels like the biggest thing that 
most of the directors have to tackle is how do we transition them from talking to singing? That's kind of the big key. From Stanley Donnan back in the day with him and Gene Kelly, it was like, cool. How do we successfully successfully transition to where it's not just kind of the, the thought of like, oh, I don't like musicals because I just break out in the song. It's how do we transition that? And mm-hmm. I think something like Tick, Tick, Boom did that very well. I think West Side Story did that very well. Um, I think In the Heights, for the most part, did that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like, again, going with what he said, it's like it's the emotions hit a certain peak. Well, how do we get to that emotional level? And I think that's what separates the good musicals and the great musicals from like the, the mediocre ones. And yeah. again, it's also too, like we're saying, commit to that world. Like another one I think of, and I actually like this movie because it's so kind of crazy and, and weird, is Grease 2. <laughs> Stay with me. Because there's songs in Grease 2 where like Michelle Pfeiffer is like dancing out like the door of like the auditorium and singing, but everyone else is just walking around her like she's not even there. And it's so just jarring. And it's you have you have to know the world of the musical. It has to be consistent is kind of mm-hmm. the key. So I think if you're if you're directing it or writing it, I think that's the thing you have to realize is what's the world and and are we fully committing to this? Because it's fine. I think too what happened with in that period post Chicago, it's like everyone to make it big. We have a big, big almost tentpole musical. But so they put a lot of people in shots. But I think it's okay to have something smaller, mm-hmm. is the thing. I think that was a big thing where it had to be big. Movies can be smaller. You don't have to do every, again, like I said, you don't have to do everything big. Right. I think sometimes we have people belting in like a small room, it doesn't feel real. <laughs> is the thing so you have to bring it down um so yeah amy thank you for the question when we direct a musical and write a musical we'll <laughs> we'll have a better answer um so yeah so our next question came in through instagram and it was from uh uh, uh Alyssa, and her question is what movie would you want to watch for the first time again so if you had the chance to watch a movie that you love for the first time again what do you think that movie would be um I think I don't think my answer is going to be too revolutionary here, but I, I would love to see a lot of the great like twists in a theater when they happened. You know, yeah, I'd love to see Marion Crane get stabbed in the shower for the first time in a theater. I would love to see Darth Vader reveal that he's Luke's father for the first time in a theater. And a, and a lot of these are movies that I saw when I was very young, but it still feels like the twists are so ingrained in popular culture that like even though i was like six the first time i saw star wars like i already knew luke i am your father it feels (laughs) like you know um so yeah i i just just kind of that that sort of thing these like really famous incredible you know we always talk about how mind-blowing the twist is and you know how much work hitchcock put into making sure nobody spoiled psycho and it's just like what you know. What would it be like to be there for the first time? Because we we can sit here and appreciate how well that like end of the first act murder is pulled off, but we've ne- I don't think anyone in this day and age mm-hmm. has ever really experienced the true like shock at the shower scene of Psycho. Those are good answers. I like those answers. I wasn't thinking it that way in terms of like there when it came out type mm-hmm. thing um darth vader's would be uh, that would be interesting want to do like in the in the moment at that period yeah because i have no like like you said no connection of what it was like not knowing vader was luke's father yeah like right i'm sorry i'm sorry if we just spoiled it for you um (laughs) 
it, yeah, it's always there. I think of Jaws as an example. I think Jaws is a movie just based off of its cultural impact, both I think with within the film industry and just terms as a, as, a, as an audience. I've seen that in an audience like in modern day, and that had an, a, like a massive impact just in that screening. And mm. I wonder what it'd been like if I'd never seen it before and no one knew it was about to happen, what it would be like. Um, the more personal choice for me that I was thinking just in terms of like watching him for the first time and maybe not even maybe in a theater or whatever was actually Casablanca was my answer because simply because the first time I watched Casablanca, I was sick and it was a crappy, it was the Warner brothers didn't have a, they had a good DVD like in terms of like what was in it and the packaging of it, but the audio was always terrible. So I couldn't hear it because I was so clogged up, like congested or whatever. I couldn't hear the actual audio. So I had to like read the subtitles. And I was just like, I would like to have watched that again for the first mm-hmm. time because I was blown away just by that. And, I, and I've seen it many times afterwards. I've seen it in theaters, I think once or twice. And like, I would love to have seen it for the first time, like away from the, like the sickness that I had and be kind of more fully invested in what was happening. Yeah. Um, because it's now one of my favorite films of all time, and I do wonder what would have, what what that screening what would that be like going back to it for the first time again or for the first time, uh, how, what my feelings would be towards it. Mm-hmm. All right, Alyssa, thank you so much for the question. Um, our next question through email, a mutual friend of ours from Derek, uh, and Derek's question is: What film surprised you the most, for better or worse? Um. So I wrote down I wrote down two answers for this podcast related and one in like I kind of real life yeah kind of the same real life not not the podcast is in real life but outside of like podcast assignment outside yeah yeah. Uh, my two I put down for the podcast are both movies that were part of our like director deep dives yeah um that I was like yeah I'm really excited for this director deep dive I don't think I'm gonna like this one very much. And both of them I very much enjoyed. And that's uh, Green Card from our Peter Weir episode. Because uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah. Peter Weir doing a rom-com with Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> this is not going to be good. And I've watched it twice yeah. now since that episode. Like, it's just, I find it very charming. Really enjoy yeah. it. Um, and then the other one is Crimson Tide from our Tony Scott. I don't know why oh, wow. I had in my mind that, to- that Crimson Tide was going to be boring. I just kept associating <laughs> it with Hunt for Red October, which I've seen yeah. and is fine. But like, man, I put on Crimson Tide at like midnight one night and I was like, I'm going to watch half an hour of this and then finish it later. And like I was up till two thirty, like on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Um, And then my my real life one is A Star is Born. <laughs> because that's fine. I was working on the Warner Brothers lot when that was in works. And I, I won't name that's any famous. names, but I had a a pretty high up contact at Warner brothers at that time who would just come by my office like every day and just talk about how terribly that movie was going. And I was like, yeah. I was telling you too. I was like, you're telling me we were talking like, about it. You got to hear this stuff. I'm hearing about this movie. Like Bradley Cooper is tanking his career for this movie. And honestly, I don't know where those rumors came from because I saw that movie yeah. in theaters opening weekend and I walked out of it. Like, honestly, I don't know if I would have loved it as much as I did. If I hadn't walked in thinking it was going to be a complete mess. But I did walk in thinking this I'm about to watch a train wreck. And oh, my God, it was not a train wreck. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. Seeing that in theaters was was an experience like just them. I remember in theaters, I think I think we're at the landmark and it's the moment when it's the ice cube 
at the at the cabaret thing at mm-hmm. the ombrage is playing i'm just going damn that's just a, <laughs> like like just that the mo- like cinematically it was an amazing moment and then like yeah when shallow happens it's like it's amazing like it's fantastic i went with one <laughs> for the show that we did one uh outside of the show uh one also not the full month director stuff um there might fearless might be in there fearless Ooh, is nice. one that might be in there but the one that i went straight to was star 80 by bob fossey oh yeah because i went into that thinking it's kind of the forgotten fossey no one talks about it like it's kind of just like it's it's forgotten because eric roberts good. is in it <laughs> yeah eric roberts is in it like it's his it's fossey's last movie like it, it never got the acclaim that his other ones got. And I went into that and I was just blown away by that movie and what, I mean, what Fosse does. I think also just us looking at his career as a whole, that kind of affects our viewing of some of these films. Yeah. And that really affected like, oh, wow, this is like a, this is, a, it's a very dirty movie, but it's also pretty much a real life horror film. Mm. And it, it's, he, he, he's dealt with the characters before in his previous films, but like something about just felt more realistic. All of his other films, there was some sort of fantasy element to it in some way. And star 80 just felt very realistic and gritty and dirty. And like definitely leaves you having in a certain feeling good or bad. Yeah. Um, I think one that surprised me, I was surprised you didn't say was the house that screamed oh yeah that we for that sure we watched um the house that screamed a spanish horror film that came out in 1969 um we watched it it's from edgar wright's edgar, it's on edgar wright's like thousand favorite movies and that was one time we watched for our movie night in our group um i, I picked it because i used to go through when it. it when it was my time to pick i would go through and just find the most ridiculous titles um that's yeah. how we also did the legend of hell house yes. Because you just thought it'd be like a schlock. Oh, that's gonna be a schlocky movie. The I think House I picked Extremes. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill too. I no, I think that was Christine. I think Christina oh, okay. picked that one. But yeah, I, yeah. I always made a list when it was my turn to pick. I would make a. I would just go through and make a list of the most <laughs> ridiculous names. And yeah, I went into that one thinking it was gonna be a schlocky horror film. And man, it's, it's basically it, it's it's Suspiria before Suspiria is kind of what I say. Like it's beautiful. What, it's, it's, it is a beautiful yeah I, I i revisited it this this past halloween and i was texting you while i was watching i was like this might be my favorite horror movie like it's what? it is incredibly <laughs> well crafted yeah uh another one that kind of surprised me i think it was as a director it wasn't a film but a director i wanted to bring up was when we did fritz lang mm-hmm. our fritz lang episode because that was when i was kind of surprised by just in terms of how he directed how like he was very much in the realm of hitchcock but outside of his German films, no one really talked about his American films that much. And I thought they were way better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, even the ones that were somewhat like not as strong, they were all still interesting and had the visual flair that a lot of Hitchcock films had, but never got brought up as much. So Derek, thank you for the question. Hopefully that answered it, answered it uh, and what you were expecting. Um, our next question, a voicemail from our listener, Samuel. Hey guys, Samuel here. Long time listener. Love the show. I wanted to ask you guys, with extensive film libraries and so much to watch and being lovers of all genres, do you ever have challenges on what to watch each night? And how do you choose what to watch? It's a a running joke between my wife and I. What are we going to watch tonight? We have to narrow it down by genre. That's my question. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you, Samuel. You just uh, talked about my nightly problem. So. <laughs> I know. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I do have to say this is part of the reason why I love the Criterion channel. It's just because yeah. it at least gives me a, a channel I can click over to and be like, these are the movies that mm -hmm. I... I, I should watch <laughs> might not necessarily do it but i know i should, I should watch, watch everything here yeah yeah um it's tough and especially i love tv too i wish i was the kind of yeah. person that was like I, i've met people who are like i only watch films i don't watch tv i, I can't do it i absolutely love tv so i've got a yeah. long long list of tv shows i haven't watched got a long list of movies and then i i also follow follow a lot of youtubers that i love so you know sometimes i just want to sit down and watch a youtube video it's tough it's really tough i um i at least i guess i'm i guess it's good overall for my list that i don't have cable at all so i can't get distracted by what's live uh just just you know stream some sports occasionally but um yeah I, honestly the criterion is a huge one shutter i'll subscribe to sometimes when i feel like i'm in a horror mood and so I, I do mm -hmm. think it's I, as much as I dislike how segmented streaming has become, I do like mm -hmm. the idea that there are these like really focused streaming places where I can go and be like this. If I if I open this app up on my fire stick, I'm going to end up watching, you know, this movie no matter what. Whereas if I open up yeah. Netflix, who knows what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so that that helps for sure. Um, and and. I, I did one year I did, you know, watch a Criterion movie every week, which was great. I watched some really, really cool stuff, but that's also hard to hold yourself to. And if you have a partner who's not as interested in uh, sometime in, in, in that much of a gamble as to whether you might end up liking or hating a film, then then you might not want to go with something like that. But you mean uh, you don't want to watch this three hour Russian war epic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a coworker yeah. who refers to it as eating his vegetables. Um, you know I, i've been telling you know been recommending a movie for weeks and i was like this movie is great and he came in one day and he was like all right i knew i just had to eat my vegetables last night and watch that movie and i actually i loved it i actually loved it and i was like they're perfect thank you thanks for taking my recommendation can i ask the movie or is that revealed it was person? tick tick boom they oh <laughs> he's not a musical guy he's not a musical guy so he was okay, okay 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 that's fair that's fair yeah i i mean for me yeah same thing with kind of the streaming service i have a bunch and then also, uh, I rent a lot too from Cinephile Video in LA. Um, I expect my check in the mail now. Uh, no, um, having uh, a deadline on yes. returning DVDs that you, when I was a customer that, at Cinephile, that, that helps is to go in and pick it up, <laughs> and you know I have a week to watch this, and then I have to give it back. Yeah, that's that's the good thing about their monthly membership. I don't have to worry about uh, 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 due dates. Um, Cinephile helps. I mean, I do. I I know Thomas uses Letterbox to kind of diary stuff but i use it religiously for list and things like my watch list i've i've actually been trying to go through and like take stuff off my watch list so <laughs> like, i'll never watch this and seeing that number on that watch list because it was at one point it was over three thousand. i've cut a bunch of movies off of it which takes a while but that i think the ones that are always towards the front of the watch list are the ones that i i need to watch soon like the, the i always the ones that kind of come in your mind first um and sometimes i i go through the streaming service like okay cool like on my watch list 20 of these are on netflix let me watch one of these tonight or something mm -hmm. so i always try and try and narrow it down as like small as possible and then pick that way 
Um, I, I definitely, you know, split myself up into nights, especially if it's a night when I have complete yeah. control of the TV and I'm alone. I, that doesn't happen that often. I'm like, this is a night that I'm watching something that is a yeah. toss up and who knows what's going to happen. But I, I'd like to be surprised. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes, too, the show prompts me prompts what I'm going to watch, too. Like if mm-hmm. we're doing yeah, a director, absolutely. director thing, like it's like it's like, when, like, for example, like way back when we did James Bond episode, it was James Bond 24 <laughs> seven all day, every day for like two weeks. It felt like um or like cronenberg when we did cronenberg i remember like watching three or four cronenberg movies over a weekend yeah that was or a weird probably time. more than that that was a real was weird a- period <laughs> like i never i never believed in like a, a, a palate cleanser much but when i i remember like watching three in a row and i was like i have to watch something where i'm not thinking at all yeah and like that's yeah. so like not in a dark world that I've been in these past three movies. Let me put on an Elvis movie that I know will not have to think about anything and just it'll be music and Elvis and pretty colors and, and what all that stuff. Um, so yeah, letterbox, all the service I use cinephile video. Uh, I said, I use like, if it's Edgar Wright's list, I'll go through that. That's usually, if I can't find anything, I'll look at what's on there. Um, I also have a letterbox list. That's Martin Scorsese's favorite films. Cause I'm a <laughs> film nerd um and i'll try to go through that occasionally um yeah there's so much and when you have all these services it's also funny too when you go when you actually explore some of these services why letterbox is helpful because you can if you pay for like their pro version you can see what's being streamed um on whatever service you have uh you're you're surprised like what's on what place like prime has a lot of old films on it you're kind of surprised like old silent films and kind of a vast variety of like 50s films Mm-hmm. uh canopy has amazing selection canopy is kind of the big one i would say get and it's free it's probably the best best thing out there in terms of it's free so yeah it, it's it's difficult every night it's difficult every night when you're like okay i have two hours tonight what can i watch and it's just like it's a tough choice um but yeah hope that answers it samuel thank you so much for asking um, our next question, he asked about, do we narrow it down to genres? This next question is a genre question. Um, this is coming from Jonathan, Jonathan Norris, one of our co-hosts that comes in here occasionally. And he asked, of all the genres of film y'all have covered on the show, what genre of film doesn't get enough love or is underappreciated? This was tough, I'll say. I I have an, I have an answer. I, I have an answer, too. Mine, mine was the okay. first one that came to my mind. It's not necessarily that it doesn't get enough love. It's that it's kind of... And we talked about this when we covered it on the episode. It's kind of a dead genre is the the screwball comedy. And yeah, I think it's got a lot of potential to come back. Um, okay. <laughs> and I really enjoy it. And it's one that I love. And, and when you do get something that's even like close to screwball-esque in the modern day, it feels so refreshing that it just yeah. like immediately I'm like, wow, yeah, that put a smile on my face. So you know, I we, we go back and listen to those episodes. It's it's a genre that's very close to both Brandon and I's hearts. It's a very classic genre. If you're someone who enjoys Turner Classic movies and old rom-coms, you'll love that. But um, not something you see much these days. And I'd, I'd love to bring it back. And, and and we know there's we know there's fans out there in in the film industry who love it too. Yeah. So Bill Hader make it happen yeah anyway uh uh my answer i i would say i think it's sometimes i don't know if, uh, if it fits this but thing i thought of was uh 
the Southern genre. Mm, yeah. I feel like maybe because it's not that defined, but I think sometimes Southern films can be looked down upon in certain ways. Like I think, I think sometimes it, it goes to kind of just like, I don't want to say simple movies, but like, it, it's just, I think there's a lot more complex issues that yeah. can be discussed that are in the Southern genre. You say Southern movies and people think Forrest Gump and you're like, no, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking like Jeff Nichols. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Nichols or even, I mean, even To Kill a Mockingbird or even Count a Hot Tin Roof, like Tennessee Williams, like these, these more complex issues that I think can, that are more relevant today than no offense, but like, sweet home alabama or whatever yeah not saying you can't like sweet home alabama but i think sometimes like people just think of those type of movies when thinking of southern movies yeah um and there's more to it than that like i remember i had this conversation with someone and i was talking about walking dead it's, it's i was like well walking dead's pretty much a southern tv show no it's not i was like no no no, no. it is it is trust me mm -hmm. those people i've met in the south i've not met anywhere else they're yeah. they're probably elsewhere but like i think sometimes people like say jeff nichols is a very southern story but i think sometimes people separate it because it's prestige in a way and don't put it into that genre yeah they or something you know righteous way. gymstones is yeah there, are there mega churches everywhere yes are there like televangelists everywhere yes but this very specific melding southern. of southern culture and 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 megachurch christian culture is is what you need to tell that story uh well jonathan thank you for the question uh and sitting it in uh so our next question comes from tyler through instagram uh he sent us like hey guys happy new year to both of you he sent us like january uh one of my favorite directors is ron howard there are some films that he's made that i'm not a fan of but overall i think he's a very good and versatile filmmaker that doesn't quite get talked about enough my question for your episode is what are your general general thoughts on him and what is what are some of your favorite films by ron howard my personal favorite would be frost nixon thanks and congrats on reaching 200 episodes so i've really been watching some of ron howard's masterclass of late because oh that's okay. what I, that's why I do you know, my time. I've been reading his autobiography, so I feel like have you have you really? Yeah. Have you really? <laughs> I got it for Christmas. His one that he wrote with Clint, uh, they co-wrote together. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We didn't plan that at all. No. I'm telling you right now. Um, yeah, he's a filmmaker that I think, as I have friends that don't don't like him that much, but I I think as a per person and a personality, I think he is very. Uh, warm if that makes sense yeah like he's he's very energetic like, I, I mean i'm hearing like like people like james cameron i think it was james cameron well, i haven't fincher i think i fincher talking about ron howard of how like like seeing him he's so energetic and like wants to do stuff mm -hmm. i think it might know it's james cameron it was talking about him on his master class of like how like watching him's like he's just so like so like complimentary to everyone he works with oh that was a great job man that was great that was great let's try this little thing or whatever um and he he very is he's a good teacher in terms of the masterclass stuff but he's one that like i think he has really good periods and then not so good periods it's mm. kind of the thing I, um, I i i don't my i i have some films i really really enjoy for ron howard i don't know that ron howard ever sets out to make a film and thinks like i'm really gonna push the envelope on this one which is which is fine you know you you don't have to do that. But I do think that's kind of the reason he doesn't stick out in people's minds. Cause he's never had that one movie that was like, Oh my God, this is yeah Ron Howard's movie. He's had some, some great movies. He's had some very underrated movies. I think um, as far as like the greats that are, 
recognized for being great and deserve to be recognized i think a beautiful mind is a extremely well-crafted film and very well performed i think his underrated masterpiece i probably my favorite film of his is rush i think that is a yeah an incredible movie that is so well made and i don't know how it slid under the radar in the way that it did yeah like dan Brill, i think he got nominated for an oscar but that was that was about it yeah uh, Daniel Brühl's great in it. Honestly, it's probably Chris Hemsworth's best performance I've ever seen him give outside of a Marvel movie. Um, yeah, that one's that one's great. And then I, I'm going to throw this out there. I do think of this because of the shakeups on set. I do think of this more of a Bradford Young film than I do a Ron Howard film. But I love Solo. I've <laughs> seen it three times now. I keep coming back to it every time oh, I wow. tell people. Every time I tell people I love Solo, and they're like, "No, you're crazy." I'm like, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. I'm going to rewatch it. I love Solo. <laughs> Solo is a really, really fun movie. And I know there was a director shakeup in the middle of it. And Ron Howard took over about halfway through. But everyone who was attached to that movie, I think it came out really, really well. <laughs> Big fan. That might be your most controversial opinion on the show ever. <laughs> people hate no. me for it. I, I, I've dropped it on Twitter before. And people, that's like the most replies I've ever gotten on Twitter. <laughs> No, I see. I didn't hate Solo. I actually, I, mean, I, I agree with you in some ways. Like, I think technically it was an interesting film. I think what they were doing, I think with Bradford Young cinematography, like it's crazy to think Bradford Young was a DP on a Ron Howard movie. Like, like those two, like, like visions, I don't see meshing well. Mm. But like, it's somehow. I also it don't works. necessarily think, see him meshing well with the previous directors either. So <laughs> who knows? That's fair. That's that's fair. Um, but yeah, I'm right. I, I like the score. I think there was issues that like some of the characters didn't fully work and they weren't as developed. But I, I was not like, oh my god, this is terrible. Like I never, I never felt that way about that film. I, I, I also too enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun, a fun movie. Um, yeah, Howard, I like a lot of his early stuff. Like, I mean, we haven't talked about Apollo 13. Apollo 13, I think is, is probably his best film. Um, I really like Parenthood. Mm. Parenthood, I think, is an underrated film. I think I think that's become known more for the TV show that came out like yeah. a few years ago, like, like a decade ago. Um, if it's been a decade, I don't know. But like that's one like great cast, like one one of probably his best like uh scripts uh that he's produced. And he did a story, he has a story by credit on it. Um I mean I like Splash. I I love Night Shift, like I think his comedies are pretty good back then. I, I want to revisit Frost Nixon. Tyler said Frost Nixon. I, I, I do really. I didn't want to steal Tyler's yeah. thunder, but I, Frost Nixon's also in my top five for sure for him. That I remember when that movie came out, that was one of those that, like historical movies, kind of like eating your vegetables. It was like nominated for a bunch of Oscars. I was like, ah, this movie's going to yeah. be boring. And then I watched it and it is it is not boring. Yeah, because he, he talks about a little bit in the in the masterclass. So I'm, that, was one, that was one of the first like, kind of director studies and he's talking about like the production design of it and how like the choice of production design of how like oh like we looked at 1970s like color palette and it's like it's almost laughable of how colorful it was and how that <laughs> wouldn't work in our modern in, in this film so we had to tone it down but also like talking about like how to basically how to talk talking about plays with amy's question how to kind of make it more of a film because that's based on a play just about interviews with frank between nixon and david frost and it was Michael Sheen and Franklin Jella playing those characters on stage. She's like, how do we make this different than the play? 
but also still have that same DNA within it. And I think it does a good job. Great. It's a phenomenal cast. It's like mm-hmm. Franklin Jella, Michael Sheen, Kevin Bacon, Rebecca Hall, Toby Jones, Matt McFadden, Oliver Platt, Sam Rockwell. Like it's, it's a great cast of character actors and underrated actors all within it. Um, so I, again, I like Ron Howard. Is he like, it's, you're not going to put him in the same realm as say a, a Fincher or a Cameron, like his, his voice, I guess, isn't as strong, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he is very much a like journeyman working director. I th- he would, I think he'd do incredibly well in like old Hollywood. He's very much like one of those mm-hmm. old Hollywood directors who comes in, can put a movie like on time on budget can be entertaining it makes sense like it's not confusing and there's going to be some misses but you're going to have some entertaining films like frost nixon or parenthood or apollo 13 like i think that's it's 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 a good ratio he's made enough good films where i think he is um earned his spot in being discussed um all right our next question we got another voicemail is coming from uh, our our guest on our Cronenberg episode, David Glenn IV, uh, here's his question for us. Hello, Cinenation. Got two questions for you dudes. Uh, the first is, what is your favorite Christmas or Christmas set horror film? And then my second question is, what is your favorite quote from a movie director? All right, guys, take it easy. Thank you, David. One of those was the hardest question I had to pick for this entire... <laughs> easiest, the easiest question and the hardest question. And the hardest question, yeah, episode. exactly. Exactly. I have a feeling that we might have the same answer. Uh, we might not. Um, so we got two questions. Let's do the part one real quick. So favorite Christmas or Christmas set horror film. Um, what'd you, what'd you have Thomas? This one's very easy. Cause black Christmas is like a top five horror film for me, period. And easily yeah. the best Christmas set horror film. The, the first, the first black Christmas, I'm not somebody who gets unnerved by horror films. Often I, I, I can take, usually what they're doling out especially i've worked on horror films and i just you know i know how the the strings are pulled and that one gets me that one is so unnerving it's creepy it's mysterious like you i can see it multiple times i still don't know ultimately who who the villain is what his motivations are in any way and yeah i think it is just a fantastically crafted horror film that doesn't get enough credit especially because none of the remakes have been very good at all so there you have go have you seen any of the remakes i i have i have seen both I've, of the remakes and i'll tell you okay. the problem both of them try to give the villain a backstory and that is the <laughs> whole point the of why, person, the, why yeah, <laughs> it's great yeah yeah because you because it's like it's pre it's like really pre slasher films like that the thing about black christmas like it's pre-halloween mm. like it's it, it hasn't hit that kind of horror movie boom yet but what's so too like thinking about it too it's like it's really a beautiful looking film. Mm-hmm. Like the production design is great. It's very seventies. The cinematography is beautiful. The way they use Christmas the, with the, with the decorations is amazing. Uh, great cast with like Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder. I, I think, yeah, I, I, that's the, that's the first one that comes to mind. And I feel like for me, I haven't watched enough Christmas horror films, but it's, everything's kind of distant behind that i liked uh better watch out i did yeah. like better watch out is the other one i recommend anytime somebody tells me they like kind of christmas horror films i, I recommend better watch out I, I don't think it got enough views when yeah. it first dropped but um I, I i've been able to recommend it to some people and it's very very fun very twisted kind of take very on twisted. the 
on the Home Alone type of film. Yeah, very much. It's basically like if Home Alone was a horror film, uh, like a legit horror film would be that. Um, so yeah, that's our pick for that. Part two. Yeah, this one took a bit. So favorite quote from a movie director. Thomas, do you, do you have a quote? I have, I have, I have two quotes. Can I give oh, two? Man. You can give two. Okay. I'll count for mine. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't pick another one. Uh, the first yeah. one is from Frank Capra, who we've covered on this podcast. Uh, he said, there are no real, ru- there are no rules in filmmaking, only sins. And the cardinal sin is dullness. Just like, mm. you know, that's, I'll watch any movie, but you got to keep my attention. That's yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it makes sense. Doesn't matter if it has a plot. It doesn't have a plot. There's other ways to keep my attention. Um, and this one is from a director. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's from a director who I'm not necessarily a huge fan of their films, but I really like this quote and I think he makes a good point. Uh, it says devour old films, new films, music, books, paintings, photographs, poems, dreams, random conversations, architecture, bridges, street signs, trees, clouds, bodies of water, light and shadows. Select only things to steal from that that speak directly to your soul. If you do this, your work and your theft will be authentic. Authenticity is invaluable. Originality is non-existent. That's a quote from Jim Jarmusch. Oh, that's int- that, that that does make sense though with him. That's not a Jim Jarmusch quote. And I think that's, that's a, a great. There's, there's so especially within film criticism, there's so much talk about. Oh, well, this, they took this from this, or they borrowed this from that. That is art. Yeah, that's art. That's just how yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah. You have, and I mean, like, it, it, there's like taking stuff. There, you can be inspired and influenced, and and we've talked about directors that have done that many times before like plagiarism is one thing but like like i have people who like hate tarantino because he takes from other movies but like i think if you're taking something and turning it into something new like that is art yeah like and that that quote specific voice and that quote speaks to so much it literally speaks to our last month in parody films you know it says it says steal only that which speaks to your soul literally just like we we came away from our parody month with the one rule that like only parody films that you love only parody genres that you love because that's yeah. that's the only yeah. way your parody is going to be good and that, that's exactly yeah. you know what that quote is speaking to yeah my my quote doesn't work as well as or it's not as good as that in my opinion uh but uh i did get a spielberg quote very short um but I, as a writer it gives me a little bit of hope it's like all good ideas start out as bad ideas that's why it takes so long um <laughs> very true so as a writer it's like because you gotta think like oh i want to have it the per- like perfect and great at the beginning but you really have to put your work into something to mm. make it as great as it can be I mean, um, there's always a moment for me personally of like you have this one idea and you're like oh that's a great idea and then when you start to flesh it out you're like no that's awful and if you can push past <laughs> if you can push past that moment then you're set that's when you're good to get, to get started on it i mean I mean, that's I have so many times with writing stuff where it's like you get a certain way in and you're like, ah, oh, this is terrible. And you really just have to keep going and realize. I, I also heard like recently because I'm trying to get inspiration with certain things where it's like, oh, just write the worst thing possible. Just realize you're writing the worst thing possible. And then you just dig yourself. You'll be able to dig yourself out of the hole once you get done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like because you're, you're, you're when you're sitting down to write. As a writer, so when you're trying to write, you're trying. You feel like you're trying to write the the, the best thing as, as as humanly possible to make, or the like has to be perfect right out of the gate. But once you realize it's not going to be perfect, and you just like, let me just write the worst thing. And mm. yeah, so I think that's that kind of goes to the all good ideas start out as bad ideas. That's why it takes so long. Um, but David, thank you so much for that question for both both questions. 
Um, good quotes. I think you had some really good quotes there, Thomas. That was that was nice. Um, Thank you. So next, we have a two-part question. I'll do the first part first. This is from Austin Bates. Austin Bates uh, says, congrats on your the episode. And Austin Bates, Austin, I've been on his show before, Retrograde Podcast. Uh, talked about the Blues Brothers. Go check them out if you can. Uh, it's a fun podcast. Beyond Austin and George, two, two hosts are, are great, good friends. But he sent an email. And this first question, of all the podcasts you have recorded, what is your favorite and why? Thomas, do you? I I will say I, this is more of like months, but yeah, our Peter Weir and our Tony Scott deep dives, I absolutely loved. I think it's especially with directors like those who aren't necessarily revered as these kind of auteurs. It's so interesting to just subject yourself to all of their movies, not just the ones that yeah. you love, but the ones you've never seen before or the ones you've seen and didn't think that much of. And then you start to see these little lines connecting. And it's such an incredible experience to do that. And then beyond that, I think my favorite episode was doing House because I was just very excited and nervous to see what Brandon would think of House. Because I, when, when I picked <laughs> that one, I, I was like, and I was writing the script out. I was like, this might be the first episode when Brandon gets on and he's just like mad at me for a movie that I picked. Or he might love it. Who knows? Yeah. And I loved it. Um, I picked, I, I had a few. Um, I think for me, I really love episodes where like, I find just a bunch of research is the mm -hmm. thing. Like, because I think that's one thing when we do with these, each of these episodes, like we really, dive in to like the making of this move like, like 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 every little story of like the from the reviews to uh the backstory of it all and some films we talk about it's like you know and love and it's your classic film but it, that knowledge is not all in like one specific place so like i think of an episode like to kill a mockingbird or it's a wonderful life i think those are the ones where i feel like i dealt, did the most research on um I think one of my favorite episodes too, weirdly was the John Hughes episode. Cause we did so mm -hmm. many movies on that one. Mm -hmm. And I went through, again, that was when I'm like, I, cause with most directors, I try to read a book if possible. Yeah. Um, I think if I had to, had to pick one that I think I love in terms of all the, like all of that and kind of the interesting stories. I think to kill a mockingbird was probably that for me. Oh, nice. Um, I, I'm picking all Southern ones. I realize um, for certain things. Um, his second question, which would be interesting uh be, he says being two people who are very passionate about movies that are bound to there are bound to be differences in your taste what are some movies that you two do not agree on we weirdly and maybe it's just me but we're pretty close in a lot of things with mm -hmm. movies yeah like we we pretty much have the same thoughts there's a we we might disagree on like favorite sports teams more often than we do movies <laughs> is the thing but um, I, I i think we also i think we know each other well enough to know that there's movies like not to recommend to each other, you know? Yes. <laughs> there's movies that I like that and house was like on the line. There's movies that I like that I'm like, I would never bring up on the podcast. I don't think, you know, Brent. And so that, that doesn't, I wouldn't say we disagree on them because I haven't, I've never put us in a position where we have to disagree. That's on fair. Them. But, but, <laughs> uh, one that you have made me watch for this podcast that, I absolutely hated was a movie called camp <laughs> and I feel like I'm being gaslit about this movie because you and my fiance <laughs> and everyone else I know who has seen this movie was raised in the cult that's called middle and high school musical theater 
and you all think it's incredible and it's honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen that. in my life. I never said incredible. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I it's again I I think I've now when we, cuz we watched it for um our theater month back in 2020, I think July 2020, and that was when we were doing the episodes that were like six movies of like let's let's kind of establish the genre and camp was why i suggest and if we did a solo episode i never would have suggested camp by the way <laughs> camp was why i did because it was it was a group episode uh and i think i watched it, i was like oh thomas is gonna hate this movie it's like what i was thinking in my head now that i was watching it again it's very it's very low budget so like some of the acting is not that great don't don't make it sound like i i hated the movie because it was low budget that's don't do <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's like it was it's, shot it's, on digital, so I hate it. It was shot on digital. <laughs> there were teenagers in it, and he hates teenage <laughs> actors. Like, um, <laughs> um, no, it's it's yeah, it's very much like those. Again, you compared it to a uh, a faith based movie for for theater kids. I think it's what you said. Yeah. Um Because it's something you kind of like again when you're in theater, like you haven't really seen movies that are. That are based on some of your experiences when you see them you're like oh my god this is great this is like exactly what it was like even though that was not anything like my experience in theater um but just dealt with theater was the thing um i don't i said i don't love that movie it there is like a nostalgic place for it but it's like one when i watch is like yeah this isn't that good like it's 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 rough um but that's fair i just but you I do however do however like the film adaptation of the book perks being a wallflower which per perks being a wallflower i do like that's when we, we really do disagree on i really because I, i've tried to revisit that after we've talked about it and i'm still just like yeah i still like this movie mm. i still i still do i, why, I read why... that book in high school around the time it was blowing up all my friends were like read this book i read the book and didn't like the book movie came out there <laughs> i was like oh emma watson's great in it it's her like breakout from hermione i was like all right i'll give it a shot didn't like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like the movie. Um, was it just was it just because the twist, or was it because of everything? Like, was it everything? I don't know. I think it's it. it I think it, I've got some issues with kind of the way it, it treats this. I, I think it's kind of outdated, even in its time of being like, if you're not popular, then you can do no wrong. And I think that's a very, I don't like that mindset. And I think it's led us to some bad places in society. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's as far as I'll go. Okay, that's what we can say. <laughs> okay, okay. I understand. Um, that's fair. Um, I feel like to, I, I think in terms of like disagree, I don't know about disagree, but I think sometimes like I will love something more than you like, or like I will love something more than you like something and vice versa. Yes. Splendor in the grass. Is, is is a fine is, is movie. An example it's a fine, fine movie, movie but i love it and the, uh, the audience loved it that that episode performed very well <laughs> very well for us um i think another one that popped up to me that i really liked more than you liked that we watched together was summer 42 back in the day when we oh, watched yeah. that together yeah. that was fine that was fine <laughs> um and i yeah i think I, i'll say one oh, this this is this is gonna be sound terrible maybe look bad but some, I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm saying I don't love him as much as you do. You love Wes Anderson a lot more than I do. That's true. That's true. I do love and Wes not Anderson. To, not, not to say it's a ne- like saying that I hate it because I I love Rushmore. I love Roll Ten and Bombs. Um, I guess I just don't revisit his work as much as you do. 
It speaks. Um, it speaks to me. You know what? I've got a theory. You guys are going to be the first to hear it on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> when I was a kid, my favorite cartoon was Peanuts. Wes Anderson is Peanuts for adults. Oh, I mean, down to like the way that these the like the the stilted style of dialogue that he has. I mean, you go back and watch the episodes pa- of Peanuts. Color color palette you go back and watch episodes of peanuts you know it's in four three and the camera will all the kids are like dead center and the camera will like pan as they walk and like follow the action dead center of the camera i think uh yeah i think i think wes anderson is peanuts for adults and i loved peanuts when i was a kid so there you go (laughs) okay i'll I'll, i see that i see that but yeah i I don't just i don't hate it i just don't i don't love them as much as you do um is the thing i think because i think it's because i think what started that way was like i went to see grand budapest hotel and the people i were with like walked like oh man that was such a wes anderson movie and i was like <laughs> what do you mean by that oh it's just so wes anderson like can you explain what you think it's what so it's like i think it just like made me like i i don't know i i i took it out on him when i took it on the person yeah because the person just like didn't understand his work and it just kind of made me mad of like is this what we're doing here um anyway uh we might lose listeners because of that i apologize um but austin thank you for for both those questions Um, our next question is a voicemail and let's take a listen hi this is jordan letson long time listener um i think one time caller anyway love the show and i just wanted to ask you both um your opinions on the best transformations of of actors and actresses for film so anyone that like went method um and either like changed their appearance for a role um could be for any any film that was made in in this century or a previous one anyway uh thanks guys a happy 200th episode thank you jordan um so so actors with transformations or actors who went method um actor actresses that went method um who'd you come up with with this who do you who do you have I I feel like I cheated a little bit because I kind of changed the rules, but um, <laughs> I don't know. My I know Jordan specifically says like people who change their appearance. For me, the the term like transformative performance is yeah. especially as someone who you know I've, I've worked in casting. Like I'm very much in tune with like actors, not in tune with actors. That sounds dumb. But, like I I know I know <laughs> actors. I know a lot of actors. <laughs> by name not in person i Um, i know a lot of actors guys i know a lot of actors anyway the idea for me a transformative (laughs) performance is to go into a movie and be sitting in the movie and go like i know that that is blank but for this two hours they're not that person they are this and that's that's not for me the physical transformations doesn't always get that i'm watching lincoln i'm sitting there the whole time i'm going wow daniel day lewis he man he really put in the work to to try and be abraham lincoln opposite of that sitting in phantom thread that's not daniel day lewis to me that's you know that's woodcock that's its own person and so that those are the performances for me that like really sometimes i feel like the transformatives the like physical transformations will pull me out of it i'll give you another example yeah watching joker oh my god incredible performance wow joaquin phoenix killed it you know lost all that weight just you know twisted his body around like crazy great job joaquin i've already thrown this one out this episode watching her that's theodore twombly 
like that that's so for me those are the ones that i'll list off a couple more here we go meryl (laughs) streep incredible actress sophie's choice that's not meryl streep that's sophie yeah um more recent ones naomi harris in uh moonlight you know i know naomi harris pirates of the caribbean james bond that's that's not naomi harris that's his mother um that so that that for me is is kind of the the idea of like transformative in in my mind as far as like changing your appearance and becoming a different character i will always be in awe of orson wells and citizen kane um yeah that's a good one actually that is just so well done and his performance is well done the makeup is incredible everything about that is insane because like he is playing a character from like early 20 like early to mid 20s to his deathbed like mm. to his 70s or 80s or however old he is when he dies spoiler alert uh, <laughs> okay. uh it, it is this led um so it, it, it he it's like it's amazing to see that transformation and you're hopping in and out of certain periods but he's all like it's all it's always charles foster kane like it's always him no matter what age it is and you see that that kind of um naive or 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 maybe just confident young man turn into this corrupt crooked uh uh aggressive or like i guess jealous old man like mm-hmm. and and he's only like 27 28 when he's making this movie and that's the insane part that's the the transformative part yeah, i guess you could say exactly i also had Danny lewis one down um because see, think of method. Because method, I think sometimes can be thrown around in the wrong way. It's like it's like I gotta do all this like crazy shit to be method. Jared Leto method, in, I, in Suicide Squad. I wasn't gonna say anything about Jared Leto, but there you go. <laughs> um, but I think you don't have to do certain things. I think I think yeah, like the one I had down was Danny Lewis, but in Last of the Mohicans, because I think he's amazing in that film. Mm-hmm. And in terms of just doing crazy stuff for that, like he like went like they said like if he didn't kill it, he didn't eat it. It's kind of like he was like out like living like Hawkeye, the character, not not Jimmy Renner Hawkeye, but the Native American Hawkeye, um, Nathaniel Poe, uh, out there in the woods, like being this character. And I think Method is like the idea is like you're doing something your character is doing something you have to connect with in some way. So a lot of people will do it as a way to connect it. And method could be that way in that type of way. It could just be connecting to a real memory of yours from your own personal life. Like, cool. This is how I felt in this. I got to capture that with this character in this moment, how they feel the same exact way. Like you're, you're pulling from experience. You have experienced yourself. Mm. And that's why I would say Danny Lewis, why he goes, when he goes method He's like, if my character has, is doing this, I want to know, I want to have lived this moment. I think yeah. sometimes people think, cool, I'm just going to be an asshole. Like, and that's, <laughs> or, or like, if you're, if I'm, mean, if I'm a mean character, I'm going to be a mean person on and off takes. And in some cases that works, but doing other antics or whatever for your process to hinder other people's process, I don't know if that, that's, that's different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, putting in the work, also doesn't always mean like a physical transformation. Like I, I mentioned Meryl Streep and, and Sophie's choice before uh, one thing she did to prep for that movie was she didn't learn a Polish accent. She learned Polish so that she could speak English the way a native Polish speaker would. And 
her accent in that movie is incredible um so you know it, it, i i respect the work i respect people putting in the work and and i do i do really enjoy watching those movies you know when i i i, I enjoyed vice i liked vice and i like reading uh christian bale talk about how he just ate a whole pie every day too look like dick cheney but um that doesn't you know for me that doesn't necessarily sometimes that'll just build up their on-screen persona more to me than, yeah. than making them that person which i think is their 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 goal their hope is to completely yeah. transform into that character yeah and i said sometimes it's what i mean one that i mean that kind of comes to mind that i thought of and he and he didn't do a physical transformation to say like uh joaquin did and it's funny we bring up joker it's like you have to talk about ledger and ledger was kind of mm -hmm. one of my other picks where like i remember being in theaters and being like i don't know who that person yeah. is I, I mean i've seen that movie a, a dozen times now i know that that is heath ledger i cannot yeah. see heath ledger under there like no yeah. it, it, is, it is pretty much of itself and for a character that's been played so many times and has 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 drawn if oscar buzz or whatever but like you said, you can still see Joaquin kind of in that a little bit, or it's like you see the transformation. I'm not saying I, I I think he's great in that movie. I think he he's probably the best part of that film. But but that's also like the movie's kind of geared towards that. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It's geared towards being kind of a prestige movie in some way, just as a superhero film. Dark Knight is not that like that is a blockbuster movie, and he somehow disappears into this role as the Joker. That at that point too has only been played by like Jack Nicholson or Cesar Romero or whoever. Like he just takes it in a whole different way mm -hmm. and unrecognizable. But yeah, I hope that answers your question, Jordan. Thank you for calling in. All right, next question come from Sean Randall, uh, one of our our co hosts or co podcasters came on for Muppet Christmas Carol and Sweeney Todd. Um, he asked, "Do you think the auteur theory?" is detrimental to the collaborative effort of filmmaking and diminishing the impact of actors, cinematographers, even more so screenwriters and others who impact, uh, aren't whose impacts are not necessarily visual scenes, visually seen on the film, or there is the director typically given so much latch on a project. They are the final and ultimate vision displayed. This is an excellent question. I'm very, very <laughs> glad you asked this. Um, cause this is something I feel very strongly about the auteur theory, I think has become a little warped. In, yes. in recent years but i think it's important to remember that the auteur theory was created by the french thank you to the french specifically to draw away the power that we were giving to studios because at that time yeah. it was all about this is a we and we've talked about it before in the podcast a universal monster mm -hmm. movie a yeah. you know blank musical who did who, who did all the musicals was that fox warner brothers the warner brothers screwball comedy and it was the the French critics who started going like, listen, if you MGM, MGM, MGM was a musical. Yeah, musical. Sorry. It was the French who started going, hey, if you look at these movies, these directors are doing. Yes, this this director did all these movies inside MGM. But if you pull his movies out, there's this like really interesting through line Thread. here. Yeah. And and so that's what all tour theory is kind of saying, like, look beyond the studio and so I think early auteur theory, if you read the way the French talked about, you know, kind of like the way they talked about Hitchcock and his collaborations with people, they, mm -hmm. they were really encouraging this idea of like the director and all these people that they collaborate with. And, and so I do think ultimately auteur theory is about taking that power away from auteur theory is about looking beyond the studios, looking beyond the, the like big, big picture 
and seeing the director and seeing the people that the director is working closely with. So to take that idea, and I, I, I see a lot of people these days who are arguing that auteur theory means like director is the end all be all. And I, I, I don't think that's the point of it. And so I think to study auteur theory and to appreciate auteur theory is to also say like, Hey, Hitchcock probably wouldn't have gotten as far as he did if it weren't for Bernard Ehrman, you know? um scorsese wouldn't have gotten as far as he did without de niro that's that's part of the process of breaking down auteur theory so i I do think it encourages this idea of looking at the collaborations and then you know if you look at if you are kind of studying scorsese through auteur theory and you say like oh man I, i really love the work he did with de niro then you can just break de niro out of that and go like oh i want to go back and look at de niro and de palma before he started working with scorsese yeah um that the idea and and i think the studios have kind of lost power in a way that we don't necessarily think about them that way anymore so maybe Mm -hmm. it's not as necessary to need auteur theory to break down the power of the studios but i I do think it was a huge part in getting people's minds out of just saying i want to go see an mgm musical i want to go see a universal monster movie to saying oh i'm interested in seeing a blank blank movie yeah it was it was to like make a director a st- the star of something in some way, like I think too it's like when you look at the the rise of like Spielberg, but that or Lucas like they become just important as whoever is acting in the movie because they it's like brand recognition in a way, like it's like oh we know this person will bring put out a good story or something, um yeah I think I t- I think now it's like uh, you have the thing where people gravitate towards I think of young filmmakers who are like i want to be an auteur like i want to and i think some people think like they have to do every single job like i've dealt with when i was in college dealt with people who were like i have to write direct edit and produce all my films i was like you know people do that like really like very not many that are big actually mm-hmm. do that that you're, you're you're pitching like you're not everyone is Soderbergh or the coen brothers um yeah i think uh, i think auteur stuff isn't as as like i don't know if it's as discussed as much as it used to be um but i do think that it does sometimes take away as you're saying from the collaborators of it because Mm -hmm. it's easier to push one person than five people it's like it's easier to push steven spielberg than push steven spielberg and Janusz kaminski and john williams and Mm. uh michael kahn his editor um it's easier to do that or it's easier to push scorsese than push shoemaker his editor as well like it's like it's easier to do that but all those people are very important in those in that process of that movie but i do i I do think auteur theory is a great jumping off point to say yeah you know i i love the coen brothers i specifically love these coen brothers movies oh look roger deacon shot these coen brothers movies that i love let me see what else roger deacon shot oh maybe i love roger deacons that's i I think that's yeah that's a that's a good kind of pipeline for people to go down critically as far as finding the stuff that that really works for you i think even too with actors it's like actors choose their roles if they if they're powerful enough they choose their roles and they're trying to tell like their specific story in a way it's like denzel picks things that he gravitates towards um meryl streep picks up that she gravitates towards um francis mcdormand picks up that she gravitates towards like that's they become a, a like a, a decider of their own fate, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. by what they pick. So they they have a tapestry as well. They're they're weaving in a way. So yeah, 
All right. Some quick questions here. Um, so I think quick. Um, who do you think has had the better post? This comes from Sammy on Facebook. Uh, who has the better post Twilight gl glow up? Robert Pattinson or Kristen Stewart? I, I personally, I think Pattinson. I think Pattinson bloomed a little bit faster than Kristen Stewart did. I'm, I'm still very interested in following Kristen Stewart's development. I think her career has been very interesting. I think they're both bad in the Twilight movies. <laughs> Just throw that out there. Should either of those people have been given the chance to develop as actors who knows a lot of people get just kind of tossed aside after a big franchise movie like that but for for better for our benefit they have developed yeah very well as actors i think robert Pattinson is i think we're still watching kristen stewart develop as an actor whereas around good time i think robert pattinson hit his stride so right now in this moment i would say robert pattinson I think we've still got some interesting stuff to see from Kristen Stewart in the future. I, yeah, I, I actually think it's because uh, I'm looking like, okay, cool. How does the world still view them? Because mm. we're, we're like a decade out of Twilight. I don't know how long we're out of Twilight, maybe less than a decade, maybe like seven, eight years. Uh, Twilight. It was in, it was big when I was in high school and college. Um, and I do think that a lot of people still view them as Edward and Bella is mm -hmm. the thing. I think even with Pattinson's casting and Batman, um, I think I think they're still neck and neck. I think it's and it's interesting because you compare it. This is coming out after the Oscars, so I don't know if she's been nominated yet at the moment in time. But like, if she is nominated, you're looking at someone who has an Oscar nomination, and then someone who's the who's Batman. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like they're they're conquering two different worlds in a way. But Pattinson has done th the prestige stuff with or the the interesting stuff with Good Time and the um uh lost city of z um the the rover i think is another one he did like lighthouse lighthouse yes yeah lighthouse and then some of the cronenberg movies like the thing about stewart and Pattinson, they both work with interesting directors mm. i think i think if charlie's angels would have been successful it might be a different conversation but it wasn't successful financially she's actually the best part of that movie um but yeah, I think they're still in the mainstream world. They're still viewed as Edward and Bella. I think Pattinson will eclipse that when Batman comes out. And I think Stewart will eclipse that. No pun intended, by the way, with the clips. Uh, not when I said that. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, eclipse that, I think, either if she gets his nomination, if she wins, that she was the big favorite at one point, um, or she gets a few more nominations. I think she'll. I think she's eclipsed that, and th they both eclipsed that in like the film world. Yeah, but I if think you're an A twenty four bro, America, you know exactly yeah. who Robert Pattinson is. But yeah, but that was that like, was a really interesting thing Twilight. when they announced him for Batman. It was like the A twenty four bros like supporting him online. Everybody yeah. was like, yeah, and all these people were like, I don't want edward cullen to be batman and all these a24 bros coming out and being like we love him he's been hanging out in our yeah. neck of the woods for the past four years <laughs> like i knew people who worked in the industry was like oh god this is a terrible pick i was like have you not seen like, anything he's, he's done he's, in the past like 10 yeah. years come on they're just like he's edward and and cedric dickery is because that he has a little bit harder thing because he has to live down two franchises that's a difficult task yeah. he has to live down two franchises with potter and twilight so i think it's neck i think it's neck and neck with patterson with a slight edge right now um, and if Batman is a big, huge hit that it might, the gap might, it might be widened. Um, all right. Another question from Sammy. Well, this is more for you. Um, wed, bed or behead. 
Grand Budapest Hotel, Royal Tenenbaums, or the Stella Artois Le Apart Apartomatic commercial? Um, we're going to behead the commercial because that's only a minute's Same. worth Same. Of, of Wes Anderson. So, you know, we like having more time. Um, Grand Budapest, we'll, we'll bet. It's a good time. It's not my favorite of his films in any way. And um, I don't necessarily, I've, I've revisited a few times, but it doesn't hold as much value to me in a revisit as some of his mm-hmm. other films. And by some of his other films, I mean that Royal Tenenbaums is like a top 10 movie period for me. Royal Tenenbaums yeah, is yeah. a fantastic film. And that's like a, that's a desert Island movie for me. So that's, that's when we're going to have a very happy life together. That's my exact three as well, by the way. There you go. So I think, I think it's his best movie. I think it is one of the best movies of the, you know, 20 21st century so there you go i mean gene hackman too one of his last great film probably is the thing. Mm-hmm. like i i headcanon that's his last film <laughs> not welcome thing. to mooseport uh never going to mooseport um uh what's okay so thank you sam for those two questions uh question from dan from facebook what what's the story behind your logo why those colors i'll have to answer this one thomas um it started off we we did this logo kind of back in the day when ben and i first started it different color scheme uh my friend william mason who's who's on the show a few times early in the days did we did kind of like a trivial pursuit it was like film facts film and facts is what it was and it was like maybe we were thinking like every kind of different wedge was almost like trivial pursuit or also like a film reel we were kind of going for that with the circular kind of logo uh the colors was like i i i when we redid the show this time or like two years two or three years or three years ago now um i add like the green and kind of the the arm like kind of brighten up the colors a little bit to have more of a color wheel uh look to it so that was kind of that the green was extra pop it looked it kind of the, made the logo pop more so that's that's why it was colors that's the logo mm-hmm. so there you go there you go um one more okay next question from from emmy uh on facebook which which overall andrew garfield movie is the best and why secondly which andrew garfield performance from 2021 is best and why it's a two-part question on andrew very easy question a very hard question (laughs) very easy question is as as eduardo eduardo from social network just just exploded onto the scene i had watched him in um in the bbc series uh, red riding hood yeah red riding hood i i had watched that before because that was like around the time of like Sherlock had just hit on PBS and it was uh-huh. right around the time that everybody was being like, Oh, maybe we should pay more attention to the BBC. Um, <laughs> so I like knew of him. And then I went to go see social network and I was like, Oh my God, this guy, Holy shit. To this day, I've, I've, I've think I've said it before on the podcast. I know I've said it on uh letterboxd. I think that was the best film of the 2010s, the best film of the decade. Mm-hmm and he absolutely kills it in that movie um and then best of the year is really tough because i have (laughs) loved him in everything i saw him in i have not seen his one uh the coppola um oh mainstream mainstream i didn't see mainstream yeah but i have seen yeah tammy faye eyes of tammy faye i've seen yeah sorry spoiler alert (laughs) spider-man no way home and I've seen Tick, Tick, Boom, and mm-hmm. he's incredible in all of them, but I have to give it to Tick, Tick, Boom as someone yeah. who had never sang in any sense of professionally before. 
he just <laughs> embodies that character and he has a fantastic voice in it and he makes that yeah. movie i think tick tick boom is 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 his best performance of the year uh not to, i mean and it's like tammy faye has kind of been overshadowed because of how good he is in tick tick boom and no way home mm-hmm. and tammy faye came out a little bit earlier but he is he is great as jim baker and tammy faye um yeah tick tick boom is just in terms of we talked about putting in the work as an actor like yeah. he spent a long time learning how to sing and pulls it off tremendously in that film. Uh, I agree with the same th- with favorite movie at social network. I think that's just a phenomenal film top to bottom in terms of directing, in terms of writing. I think he is great. I think weirdly, like it, it's acting wise. Like you see him who is coming onto the scene of that. I feel like Jesse Eisenberg people don't realize where to put him yet at that moment in time when that mm-hmm. film comes out. Like he's the zombie land guy is kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, and then Justin Timberlake is a pop star. Like it's like, no one really knows where to put these three people mm-hmm. and they all kind of have scene stealing moments. Um, first time I saw him, two things I saw him. First time I saw him in a movie I actually watched me was probably Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which was like Heath Ledger's last role. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I've never watched it. It's been on my list forever since I saw this. A trailer for Boy A, which was like one, I think it was his first movie that he did. And I was mesmerized by the trailer. I've never watched the movie, but that was like his breakout in terms of, uh, in terms of film. Yeah. And then I think, I think his most underrated role is Never Never Let Let Me Me Go. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I still don't know how that movie didn't. Like, I remember the summer that book came out and everybody was reading that book. And then the movie yeah. came out. I don't know who fumbled the and release no of it, it, but like no one saw the movie. Yeah. Phenomenal cast. Alex Garland wrote it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah, it didn't do well box office wise. Um, all right, Emmy, thank you for the question. Uh, next question. This is from Uthana. Uthana, your former roommate. Uh, he said, what's something you love in a movie you didn't think is good? And the opposite, what's something you hate in a movie that you love? Hmm. Also a very tough question. Also yeah. a very tough question. The The first part is a little bit easier for me. The second part is very difficult. Yeah. Okay. So what's the first part? I'm always able to identify performances that I really enjoy in movies that I don't like. Mm-hmm. For example, yeah. Anna Kendrick, great in camp. There you go. <laughs> um, so, so that's something that like, I, I can I can think back on movies and be like, man, I did not like that movie, but blank was was great in that. Yeah, um, I'll give you one. I'll give you a, an example that comes to mind. I saw The Goods Live Hard, Sell Hard in theaters. Um, for those who aren't familiar, is that Jeremy it, Piven? It's <laughs> a Will Ferrell produced film in which Jeremy yeah. Piven plays a used car salesman. I had seen Catherine Hahn and other stuff, but that was the movie. Mm-hmm. When I went, she, that woman is a superstar, and awful uh, movie, not a good movie. She's <laughs> she's incredible in it, and she's just yeah. got this swagger in that movie that you're like, wow, she she knows what she's doing. So yeah, I'm I'm always like to be able to come out of a movie and be like, man, that person gave it their all despite whatever happened with that movie. That's fair. Uh, yeah, uh, I have I'll have three real quick. Yeah, I had two, okay. but. You saying that gave me a third one. So, <laughs> um, the opening of the new Mortal Kombat movie is really mm, great, and the, that, that, and the rest of the movie 
is not good. You know, there's there's several movies with great openings. Wolverine Origins, great opening. Yeah. yeah. Terrible movie. Sometimes they just Terrible nail movie. the openings and then they can't get the rest of it. Um, another performance I put down, Tom Cruise and Rock of Ages. Not a good movie. <laughs> well, there you go. But yeah, I think that's... Tom Cruise is really good in that movie. Yeah. Um, my other person I picked, I don't hate the movie, but I think she elevates it. I'm going to admit this in the podcast, which is crazy to say. Vanessa Hudgens in every Princess Switch movie. <laughs> Best Vanessa Hudgens performance of 2021. Is it Tick, Tick, Boom? Tick, Tick, Boom. Is it, is it, is it the first character in Princess Switch? Is it the second character in Princess Switch? Or is it the third character in Princess Switch? The third character in Princess Switch is pretty, pretty amazing. She's she like, well she she is the main focus of the third one. I'm glad that you know what I mean one. by the third character, the evil <laughs> cousin. Um, she does get the most character arc in the third one. I will say, and and I'm like not I'm not joking. I think she is like she gives it her all in that mo- in those movies, and they don't deserve it. I gotta be real. Like it's mm-hmm. like that's what actually makes those movies kind of entertaining to watch is that she actually is like doing her best to play three different roles. <laughs> in these movies so there's that one um so for next the next part uh what's something you hate in a movie that you love one that is more it's more recent because we talked about the show i really hate the alien spaceship opening of the thing like (laughs) i really don't like that like i forgot i didn't know that existed i forgot that existed until now and it just it stuck with me of like i do not like this at all and uh, I know this is very hot topic and I know everyone on the internet has already said this, but like, man, I, I really wish I live in a world where Paul Thomas Anderson had cut the, the Asian, oh, yeah. bad Asian accent joke out of yeah. licorice pizza. That would, that would, I don't know, that, that would leave that movie nearly spotless for me. And instead it's left with this little like stain of being like, Ooh, I really wish that wasn't in there. Yeah, and it already has like with other people kind of the the with the with the 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 main relationship and that just gives it a little bit more like firing power, I guess, with that. It just makes it feel like oh, there's two things in here that I don't yeah. like, not just one. Um that's fair. All right. Thank you, Thon, for the question. All right, two more voicemails left. Uh hey guys, uh, Logan from LA here. Just wanted to congratulate you guys on two hundred episodes. Uh, it's been a pleasure, uh listening to you guys over the years uh, improve and change and just get better and better. Uh, my question tonight is, uh, were there any episodes you'd like to do a do-over? Uh, you know, maybe you ran out of prep time or you just didn't get enough, uh, didn't get the right moment to go into some detail you were interested in. Um, anyway, just uh, congratulations again and thanks, guys. Thank you, Logan. Um, this was an interesting one to answer. Um because at first I was like, there might be one or two, but then I realized like there's probably a lot because I feel like sometimes when we're researching this, we, we have a a short turnaround with some of these, and there's mm-hmm. always I wish I could add more to something. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could go read that book <laughs> on yeah. this movie or whatever that I could find, and maybe that's only in that book form. It hasn't been kind of put anywhere online. Um, I think, but I think a few in terms of like redone or more prep time. Um, I think redone because we did it so early. I feel like it'd be interesting to tackle Last Picture Show again. Now that we're more in the mm. in the in the kind of round, like we've gotten more reps, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm always that down to like talk about Last Picture Show. Did. You know this. 
Um, I know. Yeah, absolutely. It was. It's a great episode. I'm not. I'm not describing the episode, but I think it's one that I think of like, oh, like I wonder now, two years later, what we'd look into instead of just a few articles, like what we could dive into yeah. and find a research of it. Well, and there's there's so much info out there between, you know, Peter Bogdanovich's own writings about his work, yeah. and you know, stories on the, the podcast of late. Set. Yeah, yeah, the podcast of late with with uh, uh, Korean Longworth's podcast. You must mm-hmm. remember this, but also TCM TCM's podcast on Bogdanovich that Ben Mankiewicz did. Um, there's a lot out there. And I'm like, oh, there's there's probably enough I could, could do more on an episode if we wanted to. Yeah, my mine personally, and this is kind of a broader thing, but I, I spoke earlier about how much I love the director deep dives when we've gone through yeah. their entire filmography. I I always feel like we're missing. I'm specifically missing out on when we do a a weekly director episode sometimes and i'm not able to dive into all those things you know we made so many little discoveries with peter weir and tony scott that that when we do these directors sometimes i'm like man i really wish i had the time to watch every single thing they did in order but you know sometimes it just doesn't work out like that and we i think we even discovered that too not just in those but like the female filmmakers we did with like Mm -hmm. deborah granick and and uh um karen gusama and nancy myers and amy heckerling i think that popped up in those too mm-hmm. that's a fair point yeah fair like point. some of those you know with deborah granick we were able to watch everything you know we got three yeah, movies three movies knock them out yeah. amy heckerling I, I knocked them all out but then you got into something like nancy myers who unfortunately drops two and a half hour movies every time she drops a new one and I, it just <laughs> got out of hand <laughs> in a week in a week was the thing yeah uh yeah it's yeah it's so uh, I, I agree with that i agree with that i think i think even with anyone that gets like over seven movies it's hard to capture like one that i'd say if we could i watched a lot of his stuff early on but when we did link later the first again texas month mm-hmm. like he had 20 movies and i watched a lot of them because it was COVID and i had nothing to do but we couldn't do that nowadays i feel yeah. like we'd have to make that'd be a whole month yeah if we did that if we did link later today um so yeah stuff i agree with you on that like i, I think we with even mel brooks recently he had 11 movies and i pushed out as many as i could and i watched pretty much almost all of them but it was like it took a while mm-hmm. to do and i think if we have that pace of one per like uh, four per week it's a little bit easier yeah and but i mean even even with like mel brooks i i have something i i know by heart so i didn't revisit them this past month but like with peter weir when we had the whole yeah. month i i made sure to even go back to those films i knew by heart and i was able to find Spot something new in those yeah. having yeah. watched it through kind of a new lens so yeah that's that's what i really love about the process in those months so go back and listen to those months yeah yeah uh, I think it was I think it was March of 2021 and June of 2021. So hope to do more directors this year. Um, and that kind of leads to Logan, by the way, thank you for so much for the, for the answer or the question. Um, and thank you for listening to these. I know Logan's been on board with this show, even in the early days when it when it was just the 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 hot topics question or whatever we would do. Logan's been listening for a while. So thank you so much for listening and seeing us question. All right. Our final question of the episode is coming from a uh, co-podcast that comes on here a bunch. Hunter Barcroft. Hey guys, this is Hunter Barcroft, occasional co-host of this uh, podcast. And I was just calling. I had a question. If you guys have ever had a film that you wish in hindsight you would cover in one of your uh, monthly you know, subjects or topics, if there's something that you left out, that in hindsight you remembered and wish you would have covered instead of something else. 
that you talked about on the show. Um, anyways, thanks for everything you guys are doing. Uh, also, thank you for letting me come on the show occasionally still. Uh, having a great time. Anyways, congrats on episode 200. And, uh, yeah, here's some many more. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Hunter. Good question to end on. What's some stuff you think of with this? There were two specifically in the, the 24-hour month was, was a tough pick. That was tough. I love a lot of those movies and and two specifically that I left behind that I would like to do at some other point are Inside Man, which I absolutely love uh, Spike Lee's film. And then one that I've now overlooked for two months, which was our horror comedy month and our 24 hour month is the movie Clue, which I absolutely love as you know as a cult comedy i can quote it by heart yes but it's a movie that the more i revisit it the more i realize that it is a master class in blocking yeah for anyone who's not aware blocking is the process of moving the actors moving the camera figuring out where everyone's going to start and end a scene how they're going to move during that scene and clue you're watching this you're just watching a bunch of great comedic actors and you're like wow they're just focusing on the laughs but like every scene in that movie is so intricately blocked to make sure to keep the the mystery alive and not just one mystery alive but technically three mysteries alive three mysteries and the (laughs) other thing too not not even just that but like we talked about earlier about opening it up with plays and stuff it's all in one location Mm -hmm. like it it, Mm -hmm. but never feels boring no is the other thing it's all it's energetic it's move it's constantly moving um that's a good one. one that came to mind for me we had kind of covered, but it was one of those earlier, like, uh, genre intro episodes where it was like six or seven movies. And then we did like two mo- two solo movie episodes mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, I really wish, when we were talking about it in the intro episode, I wish we had done Ocean's 12 for mm. a solo episode. Because I remember we were actually had a lot to say, but because we had to cover like five or six other movies we kind of had to move on sounds like we need and, a heist month inside man and well, oceans 12 it, it's coming um this year heist movies are it's gonna be i think april is the plan right now you heard it here first guys um but uh yeah i think oceans 12 is one we're like also it's because it's it's so polarizing is also why mm-hmm. i kind of want to talk about it I'm, I'm someone who's had their minds changed and if you're not if you haven't revisited it <laughs> since it came out, you might change your mind too. It, it, it's definitely completely morphed in my mindset. Um, one I'll say that we've kind of covered a few. We covered the part, the apartment recently, and this is I guess this is more just like to to tease and see if people are up to up for. It. I've gotten several messages for it, but I I would have loved to have done a Billy Wilder month, and I hopefully mm-hmm. we can do it in the future. That's like one I think we've talked. About, I think we've talked about, but never fully committed to, and. I would love to do, I would love to do more director stuff. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I love to do more like director months. That's what you're kind of saying. Kind of go with these two questions, more in depth stuff on a director um, like that. So I hope that we can kind of do that in the future this year. And for how many episodes we do two or more that that's going to be an interesting journey. If we do two or more Thomas. <laughs> so yeah, Hunter, thank you so much for answering, for asking that question. And thank you for coming on and doing our show. So Thomas, what, how do you feel about 200 episodes? That's the end of our questions. Now, it's obviously, just we've we've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> Got so much more to talk about. So you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's true. Yeah, we've got a lot we've covered behind us, but there's more to explore. I definitely feel like the genres we covered 
we could easily just like run back through some of them <laughs> like what's that because like there's a lot of movies they're always kind of left on the table that we try to figure out a way to bring back in um because that's kind of the end of each month we kind of mentioned once like oh mm-hmm. i would love to talk about this one and sometimes too it's like we're trying to think what the what you guys want to hear about like yeah. i don't know if you guys want to hear about the setup with robert ryan like i don't know <laughs> um well and, and as as to the future of this show to go back to samuel's question i just need this show around to to make me to keep me on the ball watching movies <laughs> so whether or not you guys keep listening I, I need it to i need brandon to keep assigning me movies to watch <laughs> well i hope, hope i've been keeping that for a long time um i think that's it I think now it's going to be back to your regular scheduled programming of erotic thrillers next week. Um, <laughs> next week we are covering Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut and Thomas will be kind of writing that doing that one for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to, I am a doctor. Be, you're a doctor. <laughs> and you've been wanting to do that one for a while too. I think you, yeah. we just, we haven't been able to find We'll, a we'll talk about my journey with, uh, with the movie next week and yet another movie that has okay. morphed in my mind. Yeah. So we'll do that next week. But that's what we have for you on this special 200th episode. Thank you so much for submitting your questions. If you did, thank you for listening and being with us this entire time. Since COVID, we put out 100 episodes, and thank you for sticking with us during that time and kind of helping the the audience grow um, and being more active and and helping us with the show. So we appreciate that, and everyone who's kind of been involved from the co-podcasters of Ben, Jonathan, Hunter, Amy, Sean david who came on recently for the chromebook stuff so many people have been involved in this so i thank you so much um but if you're a fan of the show or a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so you stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on Apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise from whatever platform you listen to the show on yeah you know let them know hop in the comments be like yo i loved blank episode we just talked about a lot of them in this episode <laughs> so maybe you heard something you're interested in this episode you go back and listen to it then you comment, hey, yeah. I love this episode. Somebody else sees that in your in your comment. They go back and listen to it. They love that episode. It, it, it keeps going. It's a chain. So, you yeah, know, leave those comments. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're literally a new listener for this show, we gave you a lot of good starting points. You can go back and listen to mm-hmm. it if you have any interest. Uh, so, yeah. And also, finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. As always, Thomas, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, sir. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.